Today on Power Tips Unscripted, we talk to Anthony Matthews, an expert in the development of successful employee stock ownership plans, also known as ESOPs. We'll talk about the pros, the cons, and everything else in just a minute. Be the ball. Do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? Hi, I'm your host, Victoria Downing, and welcome to Power Tips Unscripted. I'm here with my co-host, Mark Harari, Vice President and Chief Marketing Officer here at RA. Now, I'm really excited about our guest today because he represents a bounty of knowledge about a succession tactic that so many of our members could use. Anthony Matthews, he's had a 40-year career helping business owners and employees transform companies into communities of stakeholders through the creation and maintenance of employee stock ownership plans. And in fact, he's done this for one of our most successful remodeling company members. He's been a principal in several of the most respected ESOP consulting firms in the country, and he spent the last decade at the Rady School of Management at the University of California, San Diego, teaching future business leaders and advisors, as he describes it, and corrupt, teaching them corrupt MBAs. You know, Anthony, we're really excited to have you here. You are recommended by one of our favorite members, uh, the one of the only companies in our community who has gone ahead and developed an ESOP program for their mm -hmm. team. Tell us a little bit about, define it. I mean, what the heck is an ESOP? And, and yeah. why is it something that we should be considering? Okay, well, uh, let, me, let me start by thanking you for the opportunity to talk to folks here. I, we've done a lot of work in, through employee ownership in, um, in the construction-related industries. And some of the finest examples around the country are construction companies. So I think it's a model we'll talk a little more about in a bit that, that works very well for these sorts of companies for a lot of reasons. Um, um, and, and let me also start, if you will, by just framing in that, that I think that one of the things that we ought to all be paying a lot of attention to currently is the uh, potential kind of succession crisis that we have in American business here hmm. in the, in the, the, I'm on the core productivity of our country. Um, so many of our businesses today are closely held companies that are owned by individuals who uh, many of whom are part of the baby boomer generation and many of whom are looking for succession strategies. Um, and uh, as we go further and further into this arc of succession crisis that I'm uh, just uh, not for too dramatic effect, but it is a really significant issue because there's a lot of our productive capacity that's involved. Um, we're seeing more and more companies resorting to what I feel is just the most tragic outcome, and that is to just liquidate these companies. Hmm. Uh, if they don't have a good buyer, they don't have a good option, um, liquidation seems to be the choice uh, uh, many are making. And, and where that occurs, the, the number of losers is huge, from the owners themselves who don't get anywhere near what they should for their business um, to the employees, to the communities, to, you know, everybody who's involved is damaged by that. So I think that, that I, I'd, I'd like to see what we're talking about in the context of that large picture, that this is one alternative which is available to employers, to company owners, um, almost no matter what size of company, all the way from, you know, a few, you know, 25, 30 people to hundreds or thousands even, um, that can 
can retain the business as an ongoing enterprise and still provide a succession strategy for the owners that's really controllable. Uh, and the thing we do that with is this ESOP, um, Employee Stock Ownership Plan. Uh, and it's exactly what its name implies. Um, the ESOP is a, um, a U.S. qualified retirement plan first. Um, it's one of those like a profit sharing or 401k plan where a company sets it up and it has certain tax benefits that are attached to it. Uh, contributions are deductible. The benefits accrue without tax to participants and so on and so on. Um, and the ESOP is exactly like any of those other plans um, in all of those characteristics. But the ESOP has two things about it that make it very different from any other plan, and it can do things that no other plan can do. Um, the first of those is that where all those other plans are prohibited from investing a lot of money in the company that sponsored them. So usually if you set up a 401k plan, your employees can put their money in it, but it's got to be invested in a diverse portfolio and you know hmm. other companies outside uh -huh. of your own. But with an ESOP, the intent is that um, all the money that goes into it will be used or can be used for the purchase of stock of the company that sponsored it. So the first thing is it's required to be invested primarily in stock of the company that, that set it up. Okay. Um, and the second thing that's different about an ESOP than any other plan is it can borrow money. It can go to banks, um, financial institutions, or, or other sources, including selling shareholders, and use credit to acquire larger blocks of stock than it might be able to buy otherwise. Okay. All right. Um, you got to slow so down here for a second, Anthony, because I'm, I'm, okay, I'm a small business owner. If I want to be thinking about ESOPs. So what you're mm -hmm. saying, if I understand correctly, is that ESOPs have a lot of advantages tax-wise and retirement growth-wise over other forms of uh, retirement plans. And this is a qualified well, retirement plan, right? Yeah. The, uh, unique, yes, the, it is. Although, and, and you could kind of sum that up uniquely um, among retirement plans. ESOPs are qualified to be both an employee benefit plan, a retirement program, and to be a mechanism of corporate finance. Uh, it's the only place in the whole tax code where you see those two things sitting together. Okay, so, so if we were trying to finance a redemption, for example, normal retirement plan could never participate in that, but ESOPs are designed to do that. So. Okay, so again, I want to back up just a little bit. This, okay. if, I'm the, if I'm hearing about this for one of the first times ever, you're talking about an mm -hmm. ESOP being appropriate for all sizes of closely held companies. What is, what's the definition of that, a closely held company? A closely held company is simply any company that is a corporation that is owned by a small group of people that isn't traded on a public, doesn't have any public market for its shares. Okay, so, so those people... 90% of, yeah, all but 7,000 of the companies in this country are closely held. Wow, really? All but 7,000? Yeah, well, the total public market is about 7,000 publicly traded companies, wow. and the rest of them are all closely held of one kind or another. So when we talk to a lot of our members, they are obviously closely held companies, we talk mm -hmm. to them about different ways of ending their career or moving on or succession right. or whatever. And as you said, mm -hmm. one of those ways is liquidation. And if you've got a company that has the owner doing 99% of the selling and they're filling up two other boxes on the org chart, they're, they're what we mm -hmm. call a practice, like a dental practice or a doctor's practice. And they don't have a lot of options except mm -hmm. to liquidate, putting a right. pin in that for a moment. 
or the other kinds of companies that we talk about are those that are building up key management, middle management, and all that, and systems and processes that give them more value to an investor of sorts. Mm-hmm. How yeah. do those two sort of scenarios yeah. fit in with an ESOP? Yeah, well, the, the second scenario is a prime candidate for one. Um, the first may be a potential, um, uh, some, some much smaller kinds of construction companies and other sorts of small businesses where the owner and is, is really the principal operator and the major labor and all that. Um, if that person wanted to create an ESOP transition or any sort of transition, uh, they're going to have to build a business that's transferable without them present, you know? Okay. Yep. And so it may be in some, in, in many cases, we start working with a company very long before the final transaction or the final transition. Uh, the company you mentioned briefly, um, we started working with them 20 years ago. 20 years um, ago? Did start, it take that long to, to start, develop this program? Well, it, it doesn't always take that long, but it, sometimes, and it depends on the comfort of the people involved, but it took that long to really find uh, a, a man, to, to build a management group within the company that could take it over and run it. Uh, it to, you know, basically replace all of the input that the founder had uh, so that you had an ongoing viable company that could go ahead and do it. And then, you know, that, that one took longer than most. But um, I think the only point I'm trying to make is just that it's a strategy that can be used almost anywhere, but the individual characteristics of the company are going to determine to a great extent how long it takes and what other kinds of things need to be done in order to, to make that work. It's not a kind of a, a turnkey solution where you can just go, you know, pay your money and it's done, mm-hmm. you really have to groom a company in order to be able to survive and, and, and do this going forward. So, uh, although I find, honestly, and I, I said, mentioned earlier that a lot of our, our ESOP companies are construction related. Um, my experience has been that construction trades um, are prime, prime candidates for this, if nothing else, because their employees are used to working autonomously. They are out in the, you know, out in the marketplace. Anthony, I'm I'm wondering what what are the, some of the challenges that that remodelers are going to face if if this is a path they want to take or explore. Yeah, um, well, it, it it certainly takes commitment. Um, the um, the process you know involves grooming a company to be successful without the input of the owner. So there's all kinds of things that are involved in that. It sometimes involves stepping up the accounting systems to having better mm-hmm. reporting mechanisms. Uh, certainly it involves a lot of the time bringing on people or bringing up people from within the company who can step in and take uh, larger roles. Um, mm-hmm. There's all kinds of, of, of factors that go into it. I guess if you wanted to think about it in a large sense, it would be you have to create a company that can independently operate going forward um, okay. without the owner's constant input. And um yeah, it, it does change companies, uh, I think, in, in many respects. And you guys have some examples mm-hmm. you could look at uh, within, you know, your groups. Um, it makes for much better, healthier companies that, that um, you know, have better practices and all kinds of things than they had before. But for the most part, I, I, you know, it's circling back to kind of that whole where a company liquidates, the owner may get most of what they have coming from it. But the the community and the employees and the country, everybody loses um, mm-hmm. in those cases because the the there's nothing that replaces that. And and 
that number that I gave you earlier, you know, we have a relatively small percentage of our actual productive capacity in publicly traded companies. Mm-hmm. Almost all of it is in these closely held companies. Right. And if we had any material, um, uh, you know, material percentage of these closely held companies liquidate, we'd have unemployment problems and all kinds of things so far beyond anything you can imagine. Uh, you know that that I mean I think it's something we really need to come up with a yeah. good solution for keeping these these companies going. Mm-hmm. And I've again for the last forty years in about a thousand companies I've worked with over wow. that time, I think this is one option that ought to be at least considered. Um, you know whether it's right for every company or not, of course not, but it should be certainly looked at as one of the options. Well, so as let's say that you got you have a company and it's perfectly suited mm-hmm. for this sort of thing. Okay. Let's, let's say it's yeah. my company, and I decide I want to look into this. How do you approach it? How do you how do you approach your employees, and how do you get the process uh-huh. going? Yeah, usually usually these things get explored by the ownership, not so publicly, really, um, because it's really a decision they have to make. Um, there are lots of firms around. Um, the group that I work with at UC San Diego is unique around the country, and that we're um, a part of a. A, a university, a public university. Um, but one of the things that we do as part of that is help advise people to get through the, the initial phases of this to decide whether this process can make sense for them. There are companies all around the country that do it. There are a couple of really great nonprofit organizations around. There's a group in Oakland called the National Center for Employee Ownership. It's mm. a great resource. Mm-hmm. Um, our Beister Institute at UC San Diego is another resource. Mm-hmm. There is an ESOP association um, wow. all over the country. They have uh, chapters for most of the states um, where you can go and get information basically to get going um, and get connected to the right people to help you make good decisions as you go forward. So, Anthony... As a business owner, I think about mm-hmm. taking on a partner, for example, and I go, oh, my God, that would be so challenging. Now, what you're saying is that it might even be better for me to take on 10 partners. How does that work? <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, it, it, it does definitely change the way companies work over time. Uh, you know, curiously, though, the history of these, the, the experience of these, is that, that where, where they're being used as a succession strategy, one of the really kind of neat features about the way the ESOP rules are set up is you don't lose control of your company right away. You don't lose it really ever until you, until you decide to. Um, you wind up going through the process of, and I'll describe in a second, sort of our process for determining whether this is something feasible for a company or not. But, um, but you go through that process slowly or as fast as you want to or need to, uh, and, uh, and, and in the end, the owner winds up, you know, there's nothing in an ESOP that changes the governance structure of the company. So, for example, you can have a company where the ESOP it goes into place and begins accumulating stock and maybe buys all of it even. And all of the positions in the company are, are populated the same as they were before. You still have the same CEO and vice presidents and, you know, everything uh, operates as it did. So in, a, in an interesting way, the ESOP actually kind of separates two pieces of ownership in, an, in, in a way that, that, you know, is maybe not going to be fully describable this morning. But, you know, mostly if I own a company, I have the right to uh, all the value that's created, the dividends and earnings right. and everything and the value that's building in the stock. 
and I also have the right to tell everybody what to do. Um, yeah, in, just kind in, of a nice thing yeah, about ownership. <laughs> the normal thing. That's a normal com- combination. Mm-hmm. Um, in in an ESOP uh, ownership, however, those two things get separated. Um, all the value that's being created, the, the increases in stock value and the growth in the business and things like that, those get passed through to the participants, the employees, through this ESOP trust, this retirement trust, in okay. the same way as you know they 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 would in any other kind of retirement plan. But the 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 management, the control feature of it, winds up vested in a triangle really of authority that includes the board of directors of a company, mm-hmm. the uh, management of the company, and then the trustee who represents this ESOP. Uh, it's, I know it sounds complicated, but in the end, it's really a collaborative effort so that you go to an employee owned company through an ESOP doesn't mean that you start voting on everything and that there's no, you know, centralized control. Right. You wind up having this governance structure that has these three components, the management of the company, the board of directors and the ESOP trustees. Um, and really from employees point of view, other than that, they get a statement that shows them you know, what, what their value is every year as time goes on. Um, there's no automatic change in how the companies run. Okay. So a lot of these companies you'll see, I could name a few for you that are ESOP owned that you would know the company, but maybe have no idea that it's, it's ESOP owned from the outside. It operates just like any other company. Anthony, it's you, you actually mentioned uh, a word feasibility, which was mm-hmm. actually leading into my next question. And that is, okay. is, is there a, is there a company that this just does not work for? Is there is there someone is there a model or plan where this just don't even consider this option? Yeah, um, it, depending on the circumstances, it can be right for very small companies, um, but those circumstances are unusual. So um, you know, there's a certain minimum size really that that does kind of come into play. Not because there's any rule about it, but just because it's hard to to get the the, the mass to function. But we've done successful ESOP transactions with companies as few as 10 or 15 employees. Mm-hmm. And we've done them, of course, in much, much larger ones. Uh, and I even did one once that only had six employees. Wow. Um, and I'll just give you an illustration. It really worked perfectly for that company. It was a piano store, uh, you know, a music store. And, and, and it had been around for a long time. And the guy that owned it had these employees that he'd had for a long, long time. He got ready to retire and was thinking about just selling off all the pianos and closing the place down. Mm-hmm. Heard about this. We wound up cutting some corners on some of the legal work and whatever else. But he wound up selling it to an ESOP because they could, they could, um, you know, to get tax deductions for all the payments and other things on behalf of his employees. Um, this is a long time ago. Um, and, and there would be some issues trying to do this today. But, um, but it worked fine for that. Uh, you know, the, the employees, got their ownership interest through this ESOP trust and it built up over time and this it, they eventually got acquired by a larger a larger music company so it, that was the case now that was a really peculiar situation because the owner was didn't really need the money and he was willing to finance the whole thing and mm-hmm. you know went through a lot of a lot of the issues that would let that go um, I, practical matter probably you need 15 or 20 employees at least to come to some critical mass in our, our feasibility, the way we approach the, the, the work that we do, and, and everybody in this industry approaches it similarly, really, um, you start looking at, first of all, who all the stakeholders are and what they're trying to accomplish, like what do they want. 
um, and stakeholders are always larger than just the one shareholder. There's family people and there's, you know, all kinds of things that go on. And, and as, as those things go forward and we get the idea of who all the stakeholders are and what they want, then we start looking at the corporation itself and, and uh, what's its earnings history and what's its earnings potential and all the processes that go through. We build a, a, a financial model that uh, a lot of time companies have never had anything like mm-hmm. that before they started looking at this. But it's a way for us to look at, well, what can we reasonably expect this company to do going forward? And how would that play out if we add on the debt associated with trying to buy it on behalf of the employees and so on? Um, and then, you know, carry that through. Uh, we do a four-phase thing where we do a just initial, let's try to find out if there's a reason this can't work early in the process. Then phase two, if, if we find out that it can work, then what form is that going to take? And we do a phase two deep dive into the kinds of transaction that would go into place and so on. Mm-hmm. And then if all of that still holds up, then in phase three, we do implementation. And that's where we wind up bringing in you know, lawyers and trustees and appraisers and folks. Um, and then the fourth phase for us is the educational part, which is uh, being sure that the leadership of the company is understands the ownership structure and how it works and what they need to do to create that. You know, you mentioned it, that, that, you know, we take a company and change it from a regular corporation, which it can be really successful and a great place to work, but we turn it into a community of stakeholders because mm-hmm. we basically, once it goes to an ESOP co- construct, everybody has got the same type of stake in the outcome. So it, it, it does change a lot. Uh, but it does it gradually over time, and, and okay. um, it's not quite as, uh, I don't know, abrupt as it sounds when you just describe it in one sentence. That's good stuff, Anthony. Thank you so much. You know what? Um hate to tell you, but it's that time. You know what time it is? Is it? It's the time for the lightning uh, round. Oh, the lightning round. And now, here's the Remodeler's Advantage lightning round. It's a trap! <laughs> yeah, here we go. I know you're living in fear for this, right? All right, here we go. I'm going to put 60 yeah, seconds on the t- on the clock. You ready? Okay. Yeah, go ahead. All right. What's your favorite business book and why? Um, I'm going to go with a book called The Citizen's Share of Joseph Blasi, B-L-A-S-I. Um, it's a history of business development and employee involvement in business development from the Revolutionary War to today. If you weren't helping companies develop successful ESOPs, what do you think you'd be doing? Um, literally, I'd probably be a child psychologist. Uh, that's what I was. That's what I was studying to do. I, I, I have a master's degree in developmental psychology. I was wow. in a PhD program. What are you not very good at? Um, the thing I'm worst at these days is retirement. Mm-hmm. I've been retired four times. And, uh, <laughs> haven't haven't had a day off any of the times. So. Your room, your desk, or your car? Which do you clean first? <laughs> My room. If you could have a machine that would print a $100 bill every 30 minutes for the rest of your life, how much would you be willing to mm-hmm. pay for that machine? <laughs> uh, well, considering that that would all be counterfeit, not very much. <laughs> oh, there we go. That was okay. That was great. Thanks, Anthony. That was awesome. You did a good job. You're welcome. Thank you very much. Can I give you my five words of wisdom? Well, wait just a second. Before that, let's tell the audience how they would reach you if they wanted to learn more. 
Okay. Um, probably the best way to reach me is through the University of California, San Diego, um, Brady School of Management. And my let me give you my phone number and my email address. All righty. The phone number at Brady is uh, area code 858-822-6010. Mm-hmm. And my email address is a Matthews, And this is going to be really tricky because Matthews only has one T in it. Good so job. it's A-M-A-T-H-E-W-S at UCSD.edu. Okay. And we'll, we'll put that information on the, um, the comments in the description. Okay. okay. Great. So Appreciate now, it. before we wrap it up, I am waiting for those five words of wisdom. What are they? Okay. My five words of wisdom are this. Capitalism's flaw, too few capitalists. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> that's good. That's like great. That. Yeah, that's wonderful. Thank you so much, Anthony. And I look forward to working with you again very soon. Me too. Thank you so much, Victoria and Mark. Thank you, guys. Um, talk to you soon. All Thanks, right. Anthony. Bye-bye. Wow. That was that was good. Yeah. You know, I had no idea that ESOPs were applicable to companies as small as 10 or 15 people. He said he did one at six people, which blows my mind. Yeah. It sounds, it does sound complicated, but I know in talking to him in a little bit lengthier time frame that it, it really is, uh, it can be broken down into discrete steps. And I know that the company that he worked with, one of our members, uh, is very delighted with the results of having employee ownership. Said so the, the the general manager, the president of that company, said that there's a whole new you know attitude on the part of all the employees because everybody has some skin in the game. Well, I'll be, I'll be honest. I just it never occurred to me. I've always I always thought it was something like 500 employees oh God, or more. It's just not something you look at yeah. unless you're you're mm-hmm. a mid to large size company. So. Yeah. Um, that's pretty cool. Uh, we're definitely going to have all that contact information he said in the bottom of this, uh, in the description or somewhere. And, uh, depending on what, um, platform you're listening on, we'll have it in there mm-hmm. so you can reach it. So, uh, this was another stellar episode, I think. What yes, think? I think. So I am Mark Harari. And Victoria Downing. And we look forward to talking to you again next time. We'll see you next time. This has been another episode of Power Tips Unscripted, the Remodeler's Guide to Business. Visit www.remodelersadvantage.com to learn more about Roundtables, our world-class peer advisory program. There you can also find information about our business consulting services, upcoming live events, and much more. And finally, don't forget to subscribe to the show and comment on iTunes. Thanks for listening. It's a beautiful day.